I think a lot of people have this idea in their mind that they have to have all the branding figured out, all the skills figured out before they start a YouTube channel, but you just kind of have to go out there and just make a lot of awful content. It's almost freeing if you don't allow yourself to only release something when it's perfect. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Golden Hour Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Mays, here in the Polar Pro Studio. Today's guest is M. Brandon Lee, host of the YouTube channel This Is Tech Today, YouTube consultant, and all-around entrepreneur. Brandon will be an inspiration to many creators who listen to this show. With only a few years of professional video experience, but several years of audio engineering experience, Brandon has been able to build a YouTube channel with over 100,000 subscribers that's pulling in enough revenue to be full-time. In addition to This Is Tech Today YouTube channel, Brandon also is a YouTube consultant teaching other creators how to create on YouTube. I think you guys are going to really enjoy my conversation with Brandon, but before we get to that interview, I want to remind you guys to please subscribe to the Golden Hour podcast if you haven't already and share the love by sharing this episode or other episodes of this show to a friend or colleague that you think would enjoy it. Without any further ado, let's listen in to my interview with Brandon Lee. All right, so I'm here with Brandon Lee from This Is Tech Today, a good friend of mine and a fan of the podcast you told me today. You've listened to a couple episodes. Every single one. Every single one, even the first one that we ever did with, uh, was it Sydney Dyongzen and uh, yes. I think Chris Poplowski was one of the earlier ones. <laughs> yes, definitely. Sydney's a mutual friend of ours. Yeah, he's a great guy. He's Love so him. nice. Oh my gosh. He's so happy. <laughs> he's so happy all the time and he's just a great creator. So, um, but anyways, thank you for inviting me into your home. We're actually in your studio right now as we're recording this. We're not in the Polar Pro studio um, because our schedule wasn't able to work out. So yeah. we're actually sitting in your real studio from this is tech today hopefully it sounds really great yeah it's actually very isolated we've got some nice uh sound panels around us right now and uh yeah this is probably better than our actual studio because we, <laughs> we do have a street right next to our studio oh man we've put sound uh panels on the windows in there um so we've done our best to try to minimize that but sometimes a fire truck goes by that's uh, like toast. game over <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah uh, i'm a sound engineer so i really care about audio quality and then even if this is really good, it's still not to the standards that I actually want it to be. Yeah, so of course. There's still room for improvement. So Brandon is a, uh, a YouTuber, but also a businessman. You've you've started uh, and you do multiple things. You've got your hand in real estate now. Mm-hmm. You bought this house and yeah. you're, you're talking about plans with that. You're talking about new channels and always growing and doing multiple things. I think there's a lot to learn from you uh, for a lot of other creators. We're going to get to that, but I want to to kind of brief everybody on who Brandon is at the beginning here. Who is Brandon? Where do you come from? How did you get started in all this? Yeah, um, I grew up in the Midwest and I moved out to Southern California to go to a private Christian university called Biola. Uh, so I uh, went there for music and did not use my degree. <laughs> like, um, like music production, is that? Right? I was actually uh, actually playing and performing, uh, you know, okay. uh, for others. But uh, I got involved with the production team over there, the event services team over there. And I was exposed to all this video and lighting stuff. And I didn't realize it, but I was growing in being a, a sound engineer. And uh, at one point, I was just kind of interested in picking up a camera. So I, I picked up a Canon T5i. Nice. My first camera. And I learned how to use that by filming a video for every single day of the year. Oh, uh, wow. So, yeah, I, I would just go to random people on the street and ask them questions. And uh, I learned how to edit really fast and get down to the main things and wow. learn to not have any sort of uh, metric for or desire for perfection, yeah. but just allow the mistakes to happen and make it better in the next one. So, did you actually edit every day as well? Yeah. So wow. I would go out to like Huntington Beach and I would walk around for 12 hours and uh-huh. essentially batch record all that and then come home and try to add as many as I could to post one a day. Was this on your YouTube channel or Vimeo or what? <laughs> Vimeo. Uh, um, no, uh, it was on a, a secret YouTube channel that no one will ever find because it's all private. <laughs> but it was an experiment. <laughs> I just wanted to learn how to use my camera and to wow. learn how to just talk to random people because I'm an introvert. So going up to random people and all that other stuff and handling rejection, stuff like that was a really amazing growing experience for me. I bet, yeah. Um, but after a year, which was actually a leap year, so it wasn't 365 <laughs> videos, it was 366. So I was like, no, one more. Um, I, I was I was pretty burnt out. Uh, this is a leap year, 2020. Oh, gosh. Yeah, February wow. is going to be a leap year uh, month. Yeah, That's crazy. Yeah, yeah so, uh, you know, I took 
you know, I wanted to take some time off and it ended up lasting two weeks. <laughs> I was like, man, I really want to make something again. And so I was like, well, I like tech stuff. So I'll just make some uh, a video on this dongle thing because I use a, an Apple computer and uh-huh. we just use dongles for everything. Um, <laughs> and true. it actually took off uh, on its own. So that, that wow. first video uh, was like, oh, this is, this is fun and neat. And so I just kept making videos just to learn how to use my camera. And then this phone called the Pixel 2 XL came out uh-huh. and things started to really take off there. I'm like, oh, oh, wait, like what's happening? Is YouTube a real thing? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I wasn't planning on being a YouTuber or anything like that. It was honestly all a mistake just so I can learn how to use my camera more. And but I, but it came from a passion to uh, with uh, a passion for video. You, yeah. you just wanted to learn and grow and uh, and. That's really interesting that you experimented like that. I've never interviewed anybody that's done something like that. Usually people either take a traditional route, go to film school or, you know, learn photography in school, or maybe they intern or, you know, second shoot for somebody. That's a really amazing little tip. You know, if you're somebody listening that wants to get started, just go make. I mean, what do you have to say about that? Absolutely. Like, I think a lot of people have this idea in their mind that they have to have all the branding figured out all the skills figured out before they start a youtube channel but you just kind of have to go out there and just make a lot of awful content (laughs) (laughs) but but then you learn so much from that because it's almost freeing if you don't allow yourself to only release something when it's perfect yeah and you know it's funny now that you and i both are in the youtube space professionally I can tell you that it's never perfect. <laughs> no. um, it's it's always changing. It's always growing. When we met, your studio was similar, but it was completely different. Right. And now I'm I'm seeing your studio here right now, and it's really advanced. But it's so it's like here's a little accessory that I found that really helps my workflow. Here's this Elgato mount that's the perfect top down. That's better than the traditional route to go with a C stand. Mm-hmm. All these little things you don't just straight out of the gate know these things. You don't know that a paper wall is better than uh, painting your wall. Way cheaper. Yeah, it's <laughs> cheaper. Um, it doesn't have the reflection that you get from the, and you don't see the weird gritty like uh, oh, yeah, the texture texture of a yeah. wall. But these are all things you learn from experience. Yeah, and it's having all of these uh, moments of resistance mm-hmm. that that you encounter in your process and and figure out how how can I remove that. Yeah, and and that, how can I make it so I can just sit down and just create. Yes, and. You know, being in this YouTube space, we're fortunate enough to where, you know, we're sitting in your studio. This is what you use day in and day out. Whereas when you are doing freelance stuff, you, you kind of never know what you're going to get. But the same is true with, with your maybe your equipment or your the stuff you bring. It's like, well, I really only go towards this one lens. So that's really all I need. Uh, you know, I could maybe sell these or I don't. People can get into the gear acquisition syndrome. Yeah, gas. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, and that's an interesting thing because a lot of people think, "Oh, I can't start a channel unless I have all this gear." But that's not true. I, there's a great creator in my community. His name is El Jefe. He has El Jefe reviews, and he reviews like uh, headphones and earbuds and things like that. And he shoots all the dang videos with his phone. Wow. And and he, he's a full time creator. He's or... not a full time creator. Uh, yeah, but he's working with these these big brands. He has authority in the community for mm-hmm. sound. Uh, and, and it's just really encouraging to see that. Like, you just got to get started. Yes, absolutely. So you got started. So what happened once you started seeing some success, you know, in those early videos on your channel? Yeah. I, in many ways, I like looking at patterns and being strategic and just solving puzzles. Right. So I, I realized I was on to something. But I didn't know exactly what was going on. So it wasn't until I met this guy named John Prosser. Uh, it was me and, and a bunch of other uh, creators that he kind of took under his wing. And he revealed to us, he taught us more about the YouTube platform. And in many ways, that just unlocked something in my brain of how I perceive things. And then he just let me go on my way. And I started figuring out all these different things. So what if you can share those things, what are some of those things that he unlocked in your brain? Yeah, so for him, I, I would kind of use different words for it because of my background, um, but I like to think of it as humility. So going onto the platform, not expecting everything, not being entitled. So that's how I would describe it. And so if you take a position of humility and you look at what's going on, you will just go along with what the platform's trying to do. Mm-hmm. And all of us like, have that struggle of fighting the platform. Like, I want to do what I want to do. I want to do this, not you know, what the algorithm wants me to do. But if you want to ultimately grow, 
and, and grow fast, you have to take a position of that humility and just do what YouTube is asking you to do. YouTube is owned by what company? Google. Google, right. And so what is their main business? What's, what do they make the most money from? Uh, ad, ad sales, ad revenue from, uh, you know, when you go on Google, yeah. there's those first four or five ads. Exactly. So if you think about it, that's their strength. So when you get an impression as a creator, you're given free ad space. That's what's actually happening. And so for them, if they're going to give you free ad space, they want you to actually use it well. And that's where you get the click-through rate and then the watch time. So if you understand what they're trying to do, then you're willing to make crazy thumbnails. I, I, I know a lot of people like, <laughs> like know my thumbnails are kind of crazy. And they're in many, great, though. Thank you. Like, I mean, in many ways, I'm just like, this is ridiculous and so outrageous mm-hmm. um, that I can't take myself seriously. Yeah. But And I would rather just make something that's really artistically beautiful but it it gets me 7% less click-through rate when I do uh-huh. that. But once I add in a crazy, goofy face, which honestly, if anyone actually hangs out with me in person and we have conversations, I will make crazy faces because I'm, I think my face is actually really expressive. So um, <laughs> that's, that's me. me. me too. <laughs> so I put that on there and then my click-through rate jumps by like 7%. Mm. Uh, so I'm just catering to what the audience is actually responding to. Yeah. And so that's taking a position of humility because even though I don't personally want to make those crazy thumbnails, I want to do something more artistic. I'm just working with and being a good steward of the free impressions or the ads that they're giving me. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good point. Was there anything else that he pointed out to you um, in those early days that really stood out? Yeah, like um, we noticed that if you make videos on the same topic, it started to kind of build momentum. And it kind of unlocked my understanding of machine learning or artificial intelligence. So the way that I would kind of explain it to a lot of other people is how artificial intelligence kind of started. They would show this program a cat and be like, hey, this is a cat. And they, and they would keep feeding them all those images. And then they would feed it a picture of a dog. And like, that's not a cat. And eventually it's like, I know what a cat looks like. Mm-hmm. So it, it, like, it all comes from like really clean data sets. Mm-hmm. So for me, if I make a video on one particular phone over and over again, it knows what I'm making content on and it knows who to give it to. Mm. Um, so for people who hear that, they're probably like, that sounds so restricting and I feel like I don't want to do that ever. And I can understand that. So here's an analogy. Uh, YouTube is a cookie store. And, and, and so uh, initially when you start your channel, in many ways, you're going to start with a chocolate chip cookie. And you'll learn how to make that cookie really, really well. And then w- the, the store, YouTube, will figure out who wants that cookie. And so as you grow, it knows how to bring in customers and serve it to them and you can grow your business. Now, how do you grow out of that? Well, you don't just like pivot really hard and just do whatever you want because it knows how to make a good chocolate chip cookie. But if you make a oatmeal chocolate chip cookie mm. and you start merging in s- some things in there that are similar that collaborate with themselves, like you collaborate your topics, yeah. then you can start merging to different things. So for me, so I often make videos on Google phones and what I'll do is I'll keep making videos about that, but maybe I want to start talking about iPhone. So I'll compare it to a Google phone versus iPhone comparison. I'll make a bunch of comparisons between those two mm-hmm. uh, phones and eventually I do the sleight of hand because you like magic, right? Yeah. And then I remove the Google phone and now I'm just talking about iPhone. So uh-huh. both in terms of audience perspective, as well as the algorithms perspective, you didn't just you know do a 180, yeah. you merged into that lane so it knows what to do. Yeah, that's a great, I mean, I'm thinking about my channel now as you're saying all this and, you know, you're a great teacher hearing you say all this. I mean, do you have a passion for for teaching this to people? Oh, yeah. Like one of the biggest things that I love to do, and it's probably the most satisfying part of being a creator on YouTube is helping other people. Um, I often tell people that it's great if you have all this influence and success and money and stuff like that. But if you don't have a good legacy, if you're not helping out people, if you're not helping out people, then what does it matter? Yeah, exactly. Um, so having meaning uh, and purpose behind what you do is, is really important. So I have consulting with uh, a bunch of different creators and things like that. And I just love helping people figure out how first to think about things in, in a way that gives them freedom, but also finding ways from a financial side, the business side of things, so that it can be sustainable. Growing up, did you have any uh, interest in video? I mean, this is a fairly recent thing, I guess, for you to be a, a video creator. Yeah, I mean, like the fact that I've only been using a camera for video for four years is kind of astounding to me. Um, but, but, you know, but I, I don't want to discourage people when they hear that. Uh, I have 
all this production background in sound and being exactly. around people with lighting and stuff like that. So there's uh, what do they call it? The glacier thing. So yeah. you only see the top, but there's so much more below it. So keep that in mind. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, in high school, we did have a f- photography class mm-hmm. and we would actually develop film. Wow. There, that makes me feel really old saying that right now. <laughs> um, but no, even to this day, uh, a lot of photography courses, even in college, still do that. Oh, really? Because it's a valuable skill, and there's a reason to do it. You know, you learn really about exposure, and yeah. IS, you know what ISO actually stands for. Yeah, you know and it was it really cool, and in many ways, it was kind of a calming experience developing uh, film. Um, but that was a long time ago. After I took that class, I didn't really pick up a camera again. Mm. And so it was just a, a weird thing. For some reason, I would watch all these movies and these uh, shows, and I would appreciate the composition of things. And I was like, oh, this is really cool. So anything that I ever do that's more artistic than you know standing in front of a paper wall, um, that comes from paying attention to what other people are doing and taking inspiration from that. And yeah. in many ways, like copying them, but that's how you learn. Absolutely. So because you have this uh, this music and audio background, your videos, the audio and the videos are phenomenal. I mean, mm, you, you use very nice equipment for your, your microphones. I know you put a lot of emphasis on it. I remember when we actually met each other and really got to know each other was on a trip. Uh, you invited me to a Waymo event with Google, yeah. which was a lot of fun. And I really enjoyed our time together. Me too. And I noticed that... Uh, you were kind of in vlogger mode, like you were vlogging, but you still brought your mix pre three and like your your mics and your, your ninja recorder. Mm -hmm. Um, do you just enjoy doing that? Do you find that, uh, you know, is there a reason why you do that? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, part of it is because I don't know how to do it better. (laughs) You know, uh, it's a lot easier to film things in your studio than on the go. And so, trying to vlog oh my gosh yeah it requires so much skill and like thick skin because you, all these people are looking at you and i just can't yeah. do it like cody Warner, uh-huh. i love that guy yeah. he is such an inspiration because he just doesn't care he's like oh it makes me feel uncomfortable let's do it yeah <laughs> <laughs> so but like yeah I, I would bring that because in a way it, it was my comfort zone sure and so I have to kind of lower some of the quality in many areas for the sake of creating. Mm-hmm. And so don't let the perfection get in, in, in the way of, of creating. I've, I've learned in my journey though, that there's things that I just genuinely like and that I enjoy. And I've had this idea of like, okay, well I should just lower the production value so I could be faster or like keep up with other people are doing. And it seems like they don't care about it and they're successful. And I, I care about this thing and, Nobody seems to notice, but that's what makes you unique. That's right. what makes you special, and it's also what kind of motivates you to get go- keep going and keep moving forward, right? Yeah. So, and well, I th- really think audio is underrated uh, uh, yeah. it, because it's not flashy, but you could have the most beautiful, beautiful video out there. But man, if your audio sucks, I have to close it. Yeah, I have to close it. I can't not sit through it at all. <laughs> and so for even for me, people will say your audio is so good. And I'm like, yeah, but did you hear that little bit of room noise in there? <laughs> like I notice those types of things because I just want to make it sound so dang good that it ends up upping the production value. And I think many people probably think my production value is good like because of the visuals. But I think the audio is actually subconsciously telling them that it's better than it actually would be in terms of video. Well, yeah. Well, now I'm really self-conscious about the audio of this podcast <laughs> when you listen to it. <laughs> I hope it's your standards. Uh, no. <laughs> These microphones are nice and isolated, so anything yeah. outside of the little ball of audio that it picks up is uh, pretty much gone. Well, the Shure SM7B is an industry standard for a reason. Yeah. So you're doing a YouTube channel. You're having some success. You're you're going. You're learning these things. You know, navigating the algorithm, going with the flow, whatever. When did you start realizing that this could? I mean. Was it that first video that took off with the Pixel 2 that you kind of were like, wow, this is a career thing? Or was there like an aha moment for you during that journey where you're like, wait a minute, I'm actually making some money and I can see a path to to be full time in this? Yeah, actually, um, the Pixel 2 XL was me just realizing, oh, people want to watch my stuff for some reason. But that (laughs) wasn't actually what clicked because I kind of wandered around for months afterwards. I'm like, oh, I'm just doing this for fun after work. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it was... uh, when the Pixel 3 XL started coming out, the leaks and everything, I became a part of that, that I began to, to realize, oh, I know what I'm doing. 
like I actually know what I'm doing. I can replicate this. I can keep doing this. Mm-hmm. And then how do I make this sustainable? So I didn't have any sponsors, but what I did is I created fake sponsored integrations. So for, you know, like a, a, a audiobook company, I would create an integration for that, but I wouldn't say it was sponsored. I would say it's an affiliate link. Okay. And so what I end up doing is creating a portfolio or something to show to other brands like, hey, this is what it would look like if you were to advertise on my channel. Mm. And then they started to come in and I, I kept doing it. And right now I have a rule, honestly, to not have a single video that's posted that doesn't have an integration in there. And not everyone can get away with that, but sure. I, it's kind of like a Linus Tech Tips thing. He actually has like two <laughs> integrations per video, but I want to have one for every single video. But with uh, with channels like Linus and others, uh, Snazzy Labs as well, it's uh, they do such a great job with them um, that it feels like a TV show. It feels like right. a, a normal thing i expect it i just skip 10 seconds and i'm good you know yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> but I mean, a lot of people have this kind of awful view of integrations of sponsorships but it's like hey youtube is giving you videos for free creators are creating content for you for free yeah. and this is how they're able to to survive and grow and make more of that content and eat yeah. um so i think it's i do think it's kind of an old school rule of thumb to to think that if you have that in it then you're not a good youtuber or whatever I think what we're seeing is YouTube is just replacing television and any TV show that you watch is sponsored by something. I remember watching Arthur on uh, PBS and, you know, there's like five ads before the thing goes because all these foundations funded or whatever. I mean, they're a nonprofit. That's a little different. But um, even the Super Bowl. Yeah. Five point six million dollars for 30 seconds. (laughs) And you can't track Jack? Are you <laughs> kidding <true>. me? <laughs> it's true. But it's, <laughs> it's such a popular show. I mean, you're getting your money's worth, I guess. But uh, I don't think so. Yeah, I, I, think I bet so. the return on investment is way higher if you were to distribute that $5.6 million to a bunch of influencers. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. I think it used to be cheaper. It's gone up quite a bit, I guess. Oh, yeah. Huh? Um, but, yeah, I mean, any sports, uh, you know, not only are there big commercials spread out throughout the event – but all throughout the stadium is an ad. I mean, the stadium itself is usually the Nissan Stadium or the Staples yeah. Center, you know, and the the companies that pay to have their shoes worn by the athletes. I mean, the, these are all normal. Th- I mean, Tiger Woods is known for the Nike swoop hat, you know. He didn't wear that by choice. They paid him millions of dollars to do it, yeah. and everybody's accepting of that, you know. So um, – I think it's just the transition to YouTube becoming mainstream media. Yeah. It was actually pretty exciting to see David Dobrik on uh, The Tonight Show. Yeah. He was on The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon, and it was the first time that I saw a YouTuber on a late-night show where it felt like a real entertainer was on the show, and he treated him as if he were, you know, like any other actor that would be on it. Yeah. I think it's starting to merge into the same kind of... Thing. If anything, TV's trying to play catch up a little bit. Oh, yeah. I mean, I can't remember the last time I watched live TV. Yeah. So, I mean, I watch YouTube for most most things anyways. Do you have cable? Or no, you have I a don't. satellite probably, right? No. I mean, I use antenna. Netflix and Disney+. Plus. <laughs> I love Disney+. Plus. Yeah. Mandalorian, baby. Yeah. And Jeff Goldblum. Oh, yeah. That was a great <laughs> show. so good. Did you see the Imagineers documentary? Oh, phenomenal. That yeah, is so that inspiring. Mm-hmm. I think everyone should watch that especially if they're a creator. It was so good. So you're a YouTuber, uh, but you do other things too. You have multiple jobs. Yeah. Can you talk about that? Yeah, I work full-time uh, in events uh, at a local university. And then I also work part-time at my church as a production director over there. And then after all that, I come back home and I work on videos. So I'm... And you, you also are a uh, landlord, basically, because <laughs> you own your home and rent it out. Right, yeah. I mean, like it's having multiple streams of income and trying to set up a foundation in which I can have freedom to, to live off of. Um, the long-term goal about all this, and not everyone knows about this, like, cause I just talk about phones and stuff like that, but the long-term goal is to have that foundation so I can eventually foster and adopt kids because, you know, that's something that I saw so much happening at my church. Um, and I thought that was like a beautiful thing that yeah. shows God's love for us. Yeah. And I wanted to do that for other people because I, f- I felt that love in my own life too. That's amazing. So having a home for those types of kids to live is, yeah. you know, the first step. What's crazy <laughs> is this home, uh, the the person who lived here before, she had fostered tons of kids in here. And I did not know That's that cool. until I started like renovating the home and everything. So I'm just like, oh, 
this is so perfect. That's a perfect, yeah. yeah, perfect place. Yeah, but if I can have some friends who are here that are renting out and I can charge them under market rent, mm-hmm. you know, not being a slumlord or, you know, an awful landlord, but just helping out some friends and they help me out in return, that, that helps me do all that. Like, and, and in the end of the day, like, I come out with, actually with a profit at the end of every, every mm-hmm. single, uh, at the end of the day, at the end of every year, I end up coming out with a profit because of them covering uh, some of the mortgage and tax write-offs and all these different mm-hmm. things. And it's just a really good setup for me. I and think, uh, like, honestly, real estate is the life hack. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's it's it's hard to get to the level where you can convince a bank to get a, you know, a mortgage for a $500,000 home. Yeah. But you've been working towards that and saving your money and you know, you've got a full-time job that, you know, if, if I were to apply because my income is so irregular and ridiculous and I don't have a full-time job might be harder. I don't know. I mean, what do you have to, <laughs> for people yeah. who, who are freelance, who want to buy a home, what are some tips to kind of, you know, get stable and, uh, get a loan to buy a house yeah well uh a little bit of the mortgage market is changing a bit because there's a lot of freelancers out there but we have this habit of writing off as much as possible and that makes us look really poor (laughs) (laughs) and that's not really good for getting a home um so in a way you kind of have to decide when do you want to start planning for a home and if you have at least two years of tax returns or you know if you have like a w-2 if you pay yourself through like an s-corp or whatever then that's a way you can show that hey i actually made this much and it's consistent mm-hmm. um so having an s-corp helps you with that consistent okay. so having an s-corp kind of is that little hack there uh for everything but for a lot of people if your main goal isn't just to do youtube but to just have real estate in general keep your keep your job keep your normal job and just mm-hmm. see that as like, I'm just doing this and I'm saving as much as possible. But my main hustle, my main goal is to just keep acquiring, you know, homes. That's really smart. And I think if you uh, were to research and look at wealthy people, uh, often, you know, real estate is a key aspect in in their, their wealth. I mean, the reality is, is like having money and acquiring homes and real estate and stuff like that. That's like, that's great and all. Um, but at the end of the day, it's just stuff. Yeah. But if I can make a difference, uh, that's really what's going to, uh, satisfy. So eventually having a family, eventually having kids that I can love, I choose to love, you mm-hmm. know, no matter what their background is, uh, th- that really brings a lot of meaning to me. And for the other stuff, the everyday stuff, it's just helping out other creators, helping out people that I encounter in my everyday life. Yeah. I'm interrupting this podcast to remind you guys to please leave a rating and review if you haven't already. By leaving a review, it really shows your support for the show and it gets the podcast in the Apple Podcast Player up into the charts so that when people are searching for camera related or filmmaking or photography related podcasts, our show will pop up because of all the reviews and ratings that it gets. If you're not an Apple Podcast Player user, please consider using the share feature in whatever app that you use and tweet it out or share it on Instagram just to get more people listening to the Golden Hour Podcast. I'd like to thank you all for listening every single week to this show. It's a real joy for us to produce this show and bring a variety of different guests on each week. All right, let's get back to my interview with Brandon. So everything's going great with your channel. You start getting some brand deals. Uh... Are you happy? Do you, do you like that? Yeah. Honestly, the as a business person, as an entrepreneur, I call myself the creative entrepreneur, and that's why I want to start a channel about being a creative entrepreneur okay. uh, so I can help out other people. But like, it's that idea of building and, and growing and, and learning and just achieving more, I guess. Yeah. It, it's, it's more like a game. Like, I don't, I don't know if I necessarily find a personal fulfillment out of it or an identity out of it, but it's entertaining to me. Yeah. It's like level one complete, level yeah. two complete. Yeah. But like, I, I, yeah, that's not my end all be all. If it all falls away, um, that would be kind of sucky, but I'll figure it out. Like, because uh, the one thing that I notice with a lot of creators is they put their identity, their value and worth in what they create mm-hmm. and how well a video does or whether people give them like accolades or positive comments and stuff like that. And that's soul crushing. Mm-hmm. So how do you find an identity and worth and satisfaction in something that's beyond what some, you know, Joe Schmo noob 69 leaves in the comments? Yeah. Like, you know, like, like those people, they don't have to matter. 
mm-hmm. and the views don't have to matter. So we before we start recording, we were kind of spitballing some ideas, and I was sharing an idea that I had, and you mentioned TikTok would be great for it. Mm-hmm. Do you know anything about TikTok? Do you want to share your <laughs> thoughts on TikTok? I don't know. Just... I posted one video there, and I think it has 270,000 views, wow. and I haven't posted anything since. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, I posted the, you know, the parodies on there, and they performed pretty well, but I haven't made any other ones yeah. since then. So There's something about it because it is dare I say kind of like fast fashion mm. like you just pump it you just pump out stuff over and over and over again yeah but it's almost freeing because like you're not it's almost freeing because you're not just like waiting for one video to work out uh-huh. it's so short it's just having fun if you overthink it that's actually mm-hmm. sometimes the biggest issue so yeah. just just make stuff and if that one doesn't do well just keep making more I it's, think if if TikTok existed four years ago when you were doing daily videos TikTok is a cool kind of way for people to do that. There's no, you use your phone. If it's shot on a phone, it actually kind of is better because it has a more relatable feel to it. Yeah. And you can just go out and make content every day and it doesn't matter. Like there's no, you know, there's no pressure there. And it feels like the algorithm over there is not as soul crushing as the YouTube algorithm. <laughs> um, you know, I, I'm using the language that everyone else is using, but yeah. I don't find it soul crushing. I actually find it uh, not a, yet. a machine. <laughs> now, I use it as a machine that I take advantage of. Yeah. And um, from the people I've talked to, it seems like because it's a newer platform and because there's not really a huge ad uh, you know, structure to it yet, they are truly just like, is this content good? Cool. We'll share it. And then more people watch it and then they share it. And so it's almost like kind of like, I guess, early YouTube or like early Facebook Mm -hmm. or even early Twitter. It's like, if it's just good, like it'll get shared. And, uh, and then in five years, it'll be like a huge ad platform thing. You got to play the (laughs) algorithm like crazy, but for now let's get on it. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, Gary V is quite wise and he says, Hey, when there's an opportunity, it's free, it's free real estate. So go, go out there and take it. That's a really good point. Um, so talk about your, your aspirations with the, uh, with the other channel and I say aspirations, have you actually done any of the videos yet or is it still kind of like yeah. planning it out or some of it is planning it out and having time and capacity. Um, so, yeah. so you know, when you're working 80 something hours a week, it's, <laughs> you know, like there's a, there's a point where you're like, okay, I'm not being a good manager to my creator. Like I'm not taking care of myself. So uh, I'm kind of waiting for that to to work itself out. But I'd like to make a channel for content creators, um, creative entrepreneurs, so I can help them, so I can help them um, think through things well, how to make money, um, how to just survive on the platform. And ultimately that's a way for me to help out other people. And then another channel I want to start is about finances, like financial literacy um, in a way that is coming not from someone who's like old that's been doing it forever, like Dave Ramsey or anything like that. But, <laughs> but you know, like a fellow millennial, uh-huh. you know, or speaking to content creators who are trying to figure out how, like, okay, I'm, I'm having success now. What, what do I do with this money? Mm-hmm. You know, cause you could blow your money on stupid stuff yeah, or you can actually set yourself up for the rest of your life. And my goal between those two channels is actually to set up content creators for the rest of their lives. And then that creates a legacy for you too. They can live on. Exactly. Like, so like I'm beyond just fast tech, which is what the technology YouTuber space is. It's like new phone, review it, new phone, review it compared to the old phone, blah, 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 blah. It's just, and I'm, I'm in that world too with camera stuff. And it's like, I don't know if you feel this way, but it does feel like a cycle of like, this phone is the exact same as the last phone, except it's a little different. Right. And I'm talking about the same things all over again. But people are so interesting. They're so different and they go through complex things and people just fascinate me and I love people. And so how can I have this like a 10 year plan that, that does set up a legacy, not only for myself, but for them. Mm. Well, what's, what's one mistake that you would really kind of talk about to somebody who's starting out? What's one mistake that you see people make um, if they're starting a YouTube channel, for example, thinking that I can get away with making anything that I want. Mm -hmm. Um, so like we mentioned earlier, Mm -hmm. it's not having humility. Mm -hmm. So if I understand what, what is being asked of me from the, from the platform, then I'll succeed. But I was just making whatever I wanted. I like, oh, embarrassingly. So I had videos on fidget spinners, (laughs) (laughs) you know, that was stupid. Like that had, that made no sense. But you do need that time, right. To figure out what you want to say, figure out what you, and then from there it's like, okay, you know, for me, it was cameras. I love camera stuff. Okay. So 
at that point, what is the algorithm telling me they want in that space? Yeah. I'm, I'm not going to just, okay, it looks like slime has taken off. I'm going to do a slime channel. Yeah. But, like, I don't care about slime. Right. Well, and, and like, a big part of it, yeah. <laughs> Remember when slime yeah, was I so know. big? Well, that's, how, okay, that brings me uh, uh, back to an, a situation that came up. Because you don't just make whatever's popular on the platform. You just make content that you enjoy making because you want to fall into something that you actually like, not something that other people only like. So what you can do is if you keep making this content and all of a sudden like a video takes off, pay attention. So for me, I had a video that was six months old at the time that Mm -hmm. talked about Apple and Samsung and how they're going through some difficulties and they needed to adapt. And it all of a sudden took off six months later. And I was like, whoa, what's going on? I was like, okay, I guess I should make a video on Apple and how they're struggling. And I'll just push into that. So I made that video. It took off. And I made another video about it. Wow. And it kept taking off. Yeah. I'm like, oh, shoot. I understand how this works now. <laughs> like, if I would just go along with the algorithm uh, is actually seeing is, is working, then then I succeed. You're speaking to the choir right now because I still look at my analytics. And I said, it, it, you know, top five videos for the last 30 days. It's 2020. And the top video still consistently for the last three, four months has been my M50 review that I made a year and a half ago. It's still getting more views oh my than any other video on my channel. It'd be really interesting to do an M50, you know, how many years later? Yeah, it's, or been, like, it's been two years now. Yeah, and well, even like comparing it against modern cameras. And or like, you know, you I do keep M50. dismissing it because I'm like, it's old. I don't want to talk about that, but I need to look it's into that. It's an affordable model. A lot of people are probably buying it. They probably needed no accessories for it. So even just making videos on M50 accessories. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. smart. <laughs> you know. No, you're right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, actually, the first time that I discovered your channel uh, was with the DJI Osmo Mo- Mobile Pocket. Pocket. The Pocket, yeah. Yeah, and I I saw that take off, and I was like, oh, this is interesting. And I saw them make another. Or, yeah, I and mean, then I saw you made another video, and I was like, "Oh, that's interesting." <laughs> and I, and I and I left a message somewhere. I don't know if you remember it, but I said, "Keep hitting the nail, <laughs> keep making that video," because yeah. I knew exactly what was happening, and I wanted you to know what was happening. <laughs> I had a lot of people tell me that, and yeah, I made I think three or four videos on it. Yeah. My problem is I I I totally understand where you're coming from from all this, but I have always been an artist my whole life. I've always just made whatever the heck I want and it's always worked itself out. And I have like, I feel like I have learned and matured to do what you're saying, but also the artist side of me, like the, like, I want to do whatever I want person like is, is fighting that idea of like, Nope, you just got to go for it. Cause like as an artist or a creator and I'm doing air quotes right now, (laughs) Um, I want to just make art, right? Make yeah. art now, man. It's like Josh Yo. <laughs> yo, yo. Um, and then when you look at creators like David Dobrik, Casey Neistat, Peter McKinnon, and you look at their early videos, and these are some of the biggest guys in our in our field, um, they were all doing stuff that nobody else was doing yet, and then they became that thing, the standard that everybody was matching up right. to, right? So at, at there is like the greats of the greats kind of have to experiment and try things that the platform right. hasn't seen yet, but that's, I guess, risky or like, yeah. uh, you know, well, I mean, like there are two concepts I want to bring up, but like, here's the, here's the first one. Uh, what if we are just not as talented and charismatic as those guys? Yeah. Like th- there has to be a, a humility there to be willing to accept that. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I wouldn't say that you shouldn't strive towards those things and find out if you can make stuff like that. But, man, those guys are on another level. Sure. Like, I even look at, like, Sarah Dishi mm-hmm. and how she acts and how she talks to the camera and remembers all these specs that I stumble over and I use a teleprompter <laughs> and I still mess it up. She's on a different level than everyone else. Mm-hmm. I guess what you're saying is we need to be self-aware and yes. realize where we are. And Gary Vee talks about this all the time. He's like, entrepreneurs is like, being an entrepreneur is the new whatever. Like everybody has, you know, influencer, entrepreneur in their Instagram bio. But like the number six at Facebook is doing really well and he or she is crushing it. And they're not the CEO of the company, but you can be self-aware enough to realize that I'm a great number two. I'm a great number four. And that's okay. Like yeah. that's totally fine. Well, and I feel like our culture 
teaches so much about like having this pride or to think bigger of ourselves than we really are. Yeah. And that entitlement is it robs you of that joy. So mm. when things happen to me, like when Google Waymo reached out to me, I was like, what the heck? Like, yeah. <laughs> I was like, no way. Every single time something good happens to me, I'm blown away because I don't expect anything. I don't allow myself to feel entitled to that or that I deserve any of that. And so all, every single success, like even like another brand deal or the video does well or someone leaves a great comment that's so encouraging, like I feel humbled by that. And I'm so thinking like the fact that I'm on this podcast that anybody even wants to hear anything that I want to say <laughs> is incredibly humbling. And like I have in, immense joy of that. Well, that I mean, we're happy to have you. I mean, this yeah. is a great conversation and I think – all creators need to be hearing this message. I yeah. think it's very valuable, very important. So there, there's one other thing I want to talk about. It's uh, the concept of being a good manager to your creator. Mm. So if you look at how you work as a creator, it's oftentimes you are putting in these long hours. You're working late into the night and you're just slaving away. And if you actually had a friend that was at a job that was working like that, would you say that that boss was a, a good boss or that he was a jerk? He was, was a jerk, yeah. Right. So why do we do that to ourselves? Yeah. You know, it, it just doesn't make any sense. So um, that is helpful in terms of taking care of yourself, but it's also good in terms of compartmentalizing things in your own mind. So if you can view yourself as a creator who creates the content, the art, and is satisfied in the art itself before anyone has seen it, mm -hmm. that can kind of distance some of your emotions from it. And then your creator, and then your manager, it, his role is to market it and to execute on it well. Mm -hmm. So if the video doesn't perform well, well, now it's his job to understand and learn why it didn't work well and then figure out how to make it better next time. So the manager who we work for as YouTubers is YouTube, is what you're saying. Well, you have to be your own manager and you have to be the creator as well. Sure. So a good manager would also say as an artist, oh, you've made a lot of these videos that are more you know, for the business or for what the platform's asking uh, of you. But, you know, you, you need a little bit of a break. Uh, I'm going to let you have one that's for you. Mm -hmm. You know, so even Sarah Dishi talks about this, like one for you, one for me. Uh, and I, I would follow the same concept there, but it gives you a bit of that freedom while also realizing that, hey, like, you know, if any of us actually make it in this industry, mm -hmm. it's still a job. Yeah. And, and not like a lot of people think that it's not a job. It's probably a harder job than my actual job or any other job that I've had <laughs> before it. Yeah. But um, if you are gracious towards yourself while mm -hmm. also realizing, hey, there needs to be a little bit of structure here. There needs to be some strategy here. Like, hey, I love that artistic idea that you have there. But what if we just like adjust it a little bit here so it would work like this? That's the manager being a good manager to the creator. Mm. So it's it, you have to like in your mind compartmentalize things a little bit. So how many people are in your head? <laughs> <laughs> Too many. And my therapist is really concerned. <laughs> no, kidding. <laughs> I'm it's okay. amazing. It's amazing. There's a lot of great little tips that you just threw in there, and we will all be anxiously awaiting your your second channel. Yeah. Um, do you have plans for that, or again, you're just kind of going with the flow? Yeah. I mean, I have quite a few videos in mind that I want to make like a, a video on being a good manager to your creator um, and screw having a niche you know like having what do you mean by that screw having a uh, niche niche, niche, niche whatever, whatever you say yeah um, it's it's really a mind perspective shift um, because we're so stuck in this thought of like oh I can only talk about this phone or I can only talk about this camera and then you feel just trapped mm -hmm. but if you think of it more of like I am choosing an audience. I'm mm -hmm. choosing people that I want to talk to. Mm -hmm. And what do they want to hear? And then making content to satisfy that, it feels less restrictive in many ways. Yeah. You probably will still make the same content or something similar to it. Yeah. Instead of making content on some impersonal object, you're making content for people. Yeah. And you're speaking to them. And they talk back to you. And they find help from you. And you can help them. It, it, it's it's freeing. Do you think way. Do you think that idea is coming from your experience and the level that you're at now with your subscriber base to where you can experiment, or do you think? Because I would say that when you're starting out, you do want to be pretty solid in some sort of niche, yeah. right? But it's the same concept. It's the same thing. You're doing the same thing. You're just thinking about it differently. I That's see. what I'm trying to say. Okay. Um, like most of the things that I will do is really just a mental game. Like, how do I process it or think about it? And how does that allow me to have the mental strength and stamina to keep going and doing what I need to do? Okay. I like that. Yeah. 
<laughs> like I, I think most of the things, the conflicts that we have in our life, uh, is all about how we we think about them. Mm-hmm. So you have a Mac Pro over there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I uh, I want to be touching it and looking at it right now. Uh, why did you buy a Mac Pro? Oh gosh, yeah. Oh man, a lot of people say that I'm really dumb for getting that. No, you're but... not dumb. You're you're brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the, the main thing is uh, at the baseline, it it removes all these obstacles for creating. You know, when you know that the sky's the limit, you will actually try crazy things. So that's helpful. But uh, from a business perspective, it's a tax write-off. But it's also um, cost savings because mm-hmm. if I buy an iMac Pro, after what, like three or four years, it's out of date. Mm-hmm. So now I have to replace the whole dang thing. The moment I do that, I spend as much as I spent on my Mac Pro. Yep. Um, with this one, it it's able to last longer than even that iMac Pro, but I can add in a card, a card, a single card, you know, or, or whatever else, and it'll last me even yeah. longer. So uh, it's saving me money in the long run. Yeah, a year from now when maybe you jump to a higher resolution, you need more graphics processing, you just buy a new graphics card. It's wonderful. Yeah. You run out of storage space or your storage is slow and they have a new SSD that just came out put that in there yeah i mean the fact that it can currently run 16k i think i'm gonna be okay (laughs) it'll be fine fine for a while yeah unless you're doing vr at 20k or something i don't know let's talk about gear briefly because this isn't a gear show but i'm a gear guy so uh (laughs) let's talk about you shoot on the panasonic gh5 i'm looking at it right now the gh5s actually right there but i have a gh5 uh for on the go when did you switch to the s when it came out yeah, just right when it, Well, actually, yeah. Uh, I bought a GH5, and then the GH5S was announced, and I was like, ah, oh, dang it. And so I just like returned the other one and got this one, and okay. then I realized, oh, the GH5 is really great still. So I bought that one years <laughs> later on. Because <laughs> it has the IBIS and stuff. Yeah, exactly. But I think the S, uh, it's just cleaner all, all around. Yeah. I mean, even though... It's even, a little bit wider, too. Yeah, that's the best thing, is the crop is a little bit uh, less... Uh, it's actually the same 4K crop that my ESR has. No way. Yeah, 1.8x. Oh. <laughs> so mine is a full-frame camera with the same crop factors nice. as your Micro Four Thirds camera. And I, th- I find the color science to be a little bit better on the S, too. Yeah. I think that's subjective. Some people actually think the 5 is better. Um, but I think the S has a little bit more of a natural skin tone. Yeah, I agree. Color, so. Yeah, I mean, I, I'll shoot in um, Vlog, and then I use uh, LUTs from my friend Evan Schneider, who has a company called LUTCO. Mm. Um, they're phenomenal. He has a great eye. Um, so I'll use that. Um, I go to Rec. 709 first, and then the LUTCO. Um, I shoot on a Sigma 18 to 35 most of the time. Classic. Yeah, I mean, that's like the great YouTuber it's, fu- lens. it's amazing that that lens has never been surpassed like the sigma has never really they've never done a mark ii of it um there's no company at all that makes anything in that range with that with that aperture range and it's, it's a small lens oh it's for, heavy as it's heavy yeah <laughs> it's big and heavy but uh but it's still small for what it is it's an f 1.8 18 to 35 and it's it's wonderful it, it looks beautiful too the moment i got that i actually got that for my uh t5i Oh wow! But that made a huge difference. Oh, the moment I was like, "Holy cow! What what just happened?" Like so, like <laughs> that that was really exciting for me. Of course. Um, and then I have the Atmos Ninja Inferno because uh, mm-hmm. I love shooting in ProRes because it works really well in Final Cut Pro. Yeah, the, even though the camera does shoot ten bit internally, it's really kind of a little bit of a dog to edit with. Although right. not anymore, probably you'll probably be fine. Yeah, with the Mac Pro. Yeah, I mean, like the biggest reason why I will get an external recorder or a Mac Pro is because if the edit has like this resistance, I, I kind of just want to lay down on the ground. Like I just want to give up. So if I can remove that, then it helps me actually do work. Um, then I'll use the blind spot. Uh, I don't remember what it's called, but it's an external battery mm-hmm. plug that's smart. really great. Um, and then and then talk about your audio setup because you're you know a big uh, audio head. Oh yeah, so uh, my favorite mic. Uh, I think I stumbled upon this on accident. It was just because it's an industry standard uh, for movie sets, but it's a Sennheiser MKH four sixteen, and I think it makes my voice sound way better than it actually is. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, I actually have two of them because I I have to have a backup just in case because I don't I honestly don't know what I would do without it. Um, so that goes into uh, Sound Devices Mix Pre three, which sounds amazing. It's super clean. It really has its natural compression or limiter built into it, so you don't have any clipping, which has saved my butt a few times. Um, and then is it the Mark one? Yeah, it's the Mark one. I really want the Mark two because it has that 32 bit float, which is, you know, if someone doesn't know what that is, it's not exactly this, but it's kind of close to what raw is for, for video or for images. So if you clip it, 
there is room on your editor to kind of recover those clipping uh, waveforms. Yeah. Which is do you, insane. Do you ever use indie filters? I mean, this is a Polar Pro podcast and uh, we make filters. Oh, yeah. Honestly, like the way in which an ND filter helped me out when I was making videos for 366 days um, of the year, once I added that when I'm out at the beach, it not only made it so that I can achieve a more cinematic look, but the way the colors ended up looking in the sky and everything else was just so much better. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I honestly think that if you're ever shooting anything outside, you have to have a an ND filter. One of the benefits of being in this studio space is that you control all the lighting. It's just a black hole. If you didn't have the lights in here, it'd be really right. dark. Um, so... You know, you don't necessarily always need an indie when you're in a studio necessarily, but if you're using certain lights that need to be at a certain brightness level and you can't turn them down, then yeah, you, you need them, you know, yeah, if you want definitely. to completely change your uh, your aperture and stuff. And Polar Pro is actually working on some diffuser filters that are going to be included with the map box that you could buy with the map box. Oh, wow. Um, so I hope to see that in the future. The diffusion is, is really popular nowadays. Obviously, if somebody's listening and they want to get started and they hear all this stuff, I mean, this is thousands and thousands of dollars worth of stuff. Yeah. What do you think, uh, again, you know, iPhone is good enough, right? Or in yeah. your case, a Google Pixel, I guess. But iPhone is better for video. Let's oh, just, absolutely. I yeah. No denying that. I mean, <laughs> I mean, first of all, like just the iPhone 11 Pro, just how much of a leap forward they had mm-hmm. uh, with that phone is, is crazy. So I would just use your phone, anything, just get started. Just try to make sure you have good audio. Yeah, and the, and again, that's actually not that expensive though. You yeah. can buy like the DDD VLAV. Mm-hmm. They make amazing stuff for not a lot of money. They're actually uh, industry disruptors by having like they're essentially making the same kinds of products as like Sennheiser and sure, but even more, but even better in many mm-hmm. ways they're tweaking it and finding the things that needed to improve and mm-hmm. then charging way less for it. Yeah. So, and plus like Andrew over there is just hilarious and great. Well, um, did you know that I interviewed Andrew Jones on Wednesday for this podcast? No way. And his last podcast is the podcast before yours. So I think overall, the message that we can we can gather from your from our conversation today is number one: remain humble. Mm-hmm. Realize that you're not entitled to anything if you get on any platform, whether right. that's Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, YouTube. Remain humble. Don't you know be entitled to to think that your videos are going to just take off um and just keep creating i guess so yeah yeah. anything that you'd like to add to that to kind of close is there any uh, any one thing i guess that's the message really right that you would want people to have but yeah i would say along with that because those are definitely the way that i live my life um and would tell people a lot but the other thing is just build a legacy that is meaningful like not everyone has the opportunity to have influence and to speak into other people's lives so if you can use that for good, that's going to be quite a fulfilling life. It's amazing. Great way to close it, Brandon. Thank you so much for being on the Golden Hour podcast. Thanks, thanks for, for me. And thanks for listening to the show. Oh, yeah. I love it. I hope you guys enjoyed my conversation with Brandon Lee. It was a real pleasure for me to get to know him on a more personal level and hear his story, even though we've been friends for a while. If there's any guests that you'd like to be featured on the Golden Hour podcast, please consider hitting us up on Instagram or Twitter at Polar Pro, or you can shoot me a DM on Instagram as well at Dave Mays, and I will try to get as many people that we can on this show that you guys are interested in seeing. If you haven't subscribed to the show already, please subscribe in whatever player you choose to use and consider leaving a rating and review in the apple podcast player as well i'd like to thank you guys again for listening to this show once again i'm dave mays this is the golden hour podcast and we'll see you next tuesday